put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, the word of God for the people of God. Paul, thank you so much. So um, I want to add a, a little bit about the story. First, my name is Carter Crenshaw, and I'm a pastor here. I'm delighted you're here if you're here for the first time. And if you've been here a long time, I'm delighted you're here. So let me tell you a little bit about the story. I am in, uh, this is the third week of really a preview of the story. We're actually starting at September 8th as we, as we talked. And every, if you think about this, every good story has a conflict, and that's because God's larger story has a conflict. And when you have conflict, there's an enemy. And the enemy, uh, we're going to talk about this morning. And the fact that there is a battle and there's a lot at stake is another thing we're going to talk about. Now, on September 8th, what we're going to do is we're going to see how this conflict that I'll really highlight this morning plays out over and over and over again in the lives of people. And then you'll begin to see also in God's larger story what God himself does to resolve the conflict in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then as the story unfolds, we'll also begin to see over these uh, 31 weeks beginning on the 8th what your part and my part is in the larger story. Because when we address uh, or when we embrace the Lord Jesus, we have a part in that larger story. And so it's really important that we play that part. And so we'll be thinking through that. And then ultimately, and here's what I want to say, the Bible is the ultimate book that says we will live happily ever after. And that does not do justice to what's in store for those who trust Christ Jesus. In fact, the Bible describes it as more than we could ever ask or imagine. And I want to tell you something. It is vital in a world today to find hope for the future. Because if you have a worldview that believes that this is as good as it gets, I believe that will never sustain you. The Christian worldview is, if you embrace Christ, this is as bad as it gets. And I think that's essential to understand about God's larger story. Now this morning... Paula read just a few uh, a minute ago about the armor of God. I'm going to uh, be talking about that. There are three things I want us to talk about this morning. Number one, the fact that in this world, it's actually enemy-occupied territory. Secondly, God has done something amazing in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ to triumph over sin and evil. We'll talk through that. And then lastly, I want you to see that it's vital to recognize that we really have an enemy And as the people of God, we've got to learn to press on in a way that we are life-giving people. And that's what we'll end on as we look at the Scripture this morning. So let's talk about enemy-occupied territory. Now, 
Listen carefully. This is from 1 Peter 5, 8. We know we're, uh, excuse me, from 1 John 5, 19. We know that we're children of God and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Now, the Bible makes an astounding claim, and that is that the world is a battlefield and there is one, the enemy, who's actually opposed to God and ruling in a very real way in this world. Consequently, since he's ruling in this world for the people of God, we're in a fight. And it's so important to see that we're in this battle lest we, let, uh, we waste our wives, our, our lives, excuse me. <laughs> Men, don't waste your wives or your life, okay? <laughs> God, that's a sermon series, isn't it? <laughs> I'll, I'll, we will come up with that. No, but, but let me drop down and get really serious. So let me, t- let me tell you what happened. Because there was a fall before the fall. Many of you might know the theological term, the fall, where man, uh, humanity turned away from the living God. But there was a fall before the fall. And that was the fall of the angel who turned against the living God. There was an angel, a captain of the guard, Lucifer. And if you look at Isaiah 14, you can see an allusion to this, where he at one point decided that he wanted the throne of God. He wanted to make himself like God. And so he was cast out of God's presence. And so Satan is a fallen angel an angel who instead of embracing God as his creator, rejected God and sought to exalt himself as a God. So what happened is Satan embraced pride instead of the living God. And so he was cast out of God's presence and he was actually cast into the world. And so what happened is when God made human beings, Satan came knowing he could not do harm to God. Instead, he would attack God's highest creation, creation, which is humanity. Human beings, every human being, bears the image of God. No matter what this world chooses to place a value on a, a human being. To God, there is no human being who's more important than another human being. Every human being bears the image of God. And so this fallen angel, Satan, decided to attack the image bearers of God. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, there's a great point in the book where Theoden, the king of Rohan, says to Aragorn, Aragorn, I will not risk open war. To which Aragorn replies, open war is upon you whether you would risk it or not. Men and women, open war is upon us. The prophet who says, peace, peace, when there is no peace, is a false prophet. And so what does it look like, this enemy-occupied territory? Listen to what William Grinnell, a great Puritan, wrote. He wrote, It is the image of God reflected in you that so enrages hell. It is this at which demons hurl their mightiest weapons. And so the demonic is out to destroy the human race. And the way the demonic went after the human race at the very beginning of the creation of this world and the creation of humanity is the demonic came to the first two human beings and says, said, you can be like God. And the very temptation that he fell to is the temptation that he offered the woman and the man in the Garden of Eden. And they fell to it too. And men and women, 
Human beings at that point embraced pride instead of embracing God. And the result of that is the world that we see today. We see a world that's moving away from the living God, trying to make life work apart from God. And men and women, life will never ultimately work apart from the giver of life. You are not here by chance. You didn't come together from chaos God created you, and because he is the one who's created you and the giver of life, your life will never ultimately work apart from him, and your life will never go on ultimately apart from him. It will not go on ultimately apart from him. So what we see, the Bible teaching is, we're in open war, and because humanity embraced pride just like the fallen angel Satan did, Humanity is at war. Men and women, you can look at any, any conflict, whether it's a relational conflict you walked in here with or national conflict going on in Portland or nation against nation, and the ultimate problem is, the root of the problem is human pride. C.S. Lewis has a great definition of pride. Listen to what he says. Now, I want you to get clear that pride is essentially competitive Now think with me, that is a brilliant comment. We don't even need to go any further. All he's simply saying is, when I embrace pride, I am my own God, and you embrace pride, you are your own God, guess what? We're now competitors. We're not companions. We can't be companions. I must step on you to raise myself up. And that makes you my competitor. That makes you an opportunity for me to use. That's what human pride does. Human pride propel or compels me to use you to further my own ends. And all of us in this room are affected with it. And all the relational strife that you and I have in our lives is at some point the result of human pride. Now, when you think about pride, when you think about what God is doing to deal with pride, That's the question. How does God deal with pride? You guys, I want to say this boldly. I think the golf scramble is a Christian game. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why it's on my mind. We just as men played the golf scramble Friday. I shot a 59. My teammate texted Brant Snedeker to say, I shot a 59. Do you know how humble I felt? <laughs> you know, the great thing about a golf scramble is there's no competitors. One of my, one of my uh, friends who was playing was hitting drives that were 305 yards long. I was hitting drives that were 150 yards long, and consistently finding water. (laughs) I've got his 305-yard drive every time. I never felt so good. We were working together as a team. And in the end, I swear to you, we took three of my shots at least, probably three of my shots. I had a great approach shot. I will say this. All working together, we weren't competitors. 
And we had a wonderful score. And you know what? I really did feel like a winner. I could not believe it. Do you know how many golfers have shot a 59? There must be like 10 in the world. You know, we texted one of them. It was so fun. <laughs> he, said, he said something like, welcome to the club. You must have been talking to the man upstairs or something. It was really, really funny. But do you, do you see? See, when we can be companions working for something larger, there's no room for conflict. But the root problem of all humanity is pride that makes us competitors. And that's why this world is a battlefield. Because this fallen angel Satan embraced pride. And he passed it along to us. Now here's the question. How does God deal with pride? How does he deal with pride? How does he triumph over the sin of pride, which causes so much evil? Listen to what C.S. Lewis said about this world. He said, enemy-occupied territory. That's what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say, in disguise, and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. Now listen, those of you in the room who've never heard of C.S. Lewis, if you've, and those of you in the room who are not Christians, I want to unpack this quote for you because it's really, really helpful to understand Christianity. Here's what C.S. Lewis is saying. He's saying Christianity is the story about how the rightful king has landed. What does he mean by that? He simply means the God who created the earth came to earth. The author of the story wrote himself into the story. It's called the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Son took on flesh. But here's the problem. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. So many people did not recognize that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Many of the religious leaders regularly called him the B word, as in a, 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 a son who didn't have a legal daddy. They were constantly accusing his mother and his father of immorality, constantly, because they did not believe his claim that he was the son of God, God who had taken on human flesh. And what C.S. Lewis says so beautifully here is the rightful king, the creator of the universe, has actually taken on flesh. As he says here, he's in disguise. And what is the disguise? What is the disguise? Yes, it's flesh. But men and women, it's even more than flesh. The disguise that Jesus wore is the only antidote to pride. Let me say it again. Follow me. The disguise that Jesus wore is the only antidote to human pride. The pride that you have in your heart the pride that I have in my heart. It's the only antidote, this disguise. And what do I mean? Well, let's look at Philippians chapter 2. Listen to this. This is a man named Paul, and he's talking to followers of Jesus. And here's how he starts out. He says, in your relationships with one another. Now, you guys, you know, I'm almost 60. I turned 60 in 10 days. Do you know what I'm realizing as I get older? Are you ready? I have too much stuff. I'm not lying to you. I sit in my office, in my house, and I think about who's going to throw away what when I die. 
That's what I think about. They don't appreciate all my pictures of going to Colorado. They don't appreciate them. All my little emblem of Colorado flags, they don't appreciate that. Somebody's going to throw away, if you've ever been to my house, they're going to throw away the airplane models I've got hanging from my ceiling. They might keep one. They're going to throw away a lot of it because my treasure is there. Crap. <laughs> You know why? Stuff is stuff. Relationships are the only thing that lasts. Relationships are the only thing that lasts. And you think about that for just a minute. And they are worth fighting for. And that's why Paul says, in your relationships with one another. In other words, he's saying, listen to me, I'm talking about the most important thing in the world. Most of the heartache in this room is because of some kind of ruptured relationship or loss of relationship. Most of the heartache in this world. Most of the heartache in this room. So Paul goes on and says this. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who? Now listen to the mindset of Jesus. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used as his own advantage. Let me read it again. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used as to his own advantage. What is he saying here? Paul is saying that Jesus is God in the flesh, but he chose not to use his divinity to give himself an advantage. I've said this from this pulpit before, but a lot of us in this room have sent or are sending our children to very expensive schools. I plead with you, no matter where you're sending your children to school, I plead with you to tell, to teach your children that you're investing in their education so that they can use their energies and lay down their lives to better other people, not get ahead themselves. If you teach them that everything you do for them is to help them get ahead of other people, you are hurting them. You are hurting them. Don't hurt them. Give them a vision. Give them the antidote to pride. And what's the antidote to pride? It's to take our advantages and bless other people with them. That's the antidote to pride. Do you know what that's called? One word? Humility. It's humility. It's the only antidote to pride. And do you want to know the definition of humility? Jesus. Jesus is the humility of God in the flesh. He left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite, his grace. He left it. He left it all. He didn't leave his divinity behind. He left his glory behind so that we could one day have his glory and share in it. That's humility, men and women. And I want to tell you, humility is the only thing that can defeat pride. How? How, how, how? Listen. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now listen to this. This is powerful. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. 
Why did Jesus go to the cross? Why is this the greatest example of humility ever expressed? You know why? Because it's not just an example of humility. It's the gift of humility that we all need. Men and women, if you want true humility, it's got to be given to you. And it comes through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. It must be given to you. You must ask him to save you. And he will. He'll save you from yourself and from your pride. That's the beauty of the gospel. Humility in the flesh. The triumph of the cross. Yesterday I was at Green Hills Mall and I was sitting waiting for my next appointment. And this woman who was probably 60 came up to me and she sat down and she looked at me and she said, will you give me some money to go to Kroger? Now, I don't carry cash with me. And so I said to her, I don't have cash, but I'll be happy to buy you something here at Starbucks. And she said, I need money to go to Kroger. And she was, she was high on some sort of substance, I'm not sure what. But I looked deeply into her eyes and could just see how hurt and empty she was. Not by what I said. But by the entirety of her life. And the irony is, we both need Jesus. It's not really ironic. The one who looks like he's got it together, at least to the world, needs Jesus just as much or more. See, when you see the humility of Jesus... When you see that Jesus was willing to humble himself for you in the cross, you'll begin to take on the humility of Jesus by the Spirit of Jesus. May I tell you something? As Dionne Warwick saying, what the world needs now is Christians with humility. Christians with humility. Men and women, I want to encourage you. Those of you in the room who don't know Christ, I really want to challenge you to think about this. He is, and this story that we're going to read over the next 30 weeks really is about humility that takes on flesh for you in order through faith to give you the humility he has. And to know the life he has. That's why I would invite you to go through this with us. Because the only pathway to true humility is through the cross of Christ. When you travel that road, you'll discover something very important. And that's this. There is a very real enemy, but many times we 
get that enemy wrong. Listen to what 1 Peter 5, 9 says. Resist Satan, standing firm in the faith. See, Satan is our real enemy because as Paul read a few minutes ago, we have a misunderstanding, and Paul clears that up in Ephesians 6. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You know what one of the devil's schemes is? That he doesn't exist. Like I said, I'm almost 60. 1972, when most, most of you were not born, I was watching Sammy Davis Jr. on network television, which most of you don't ever watch anymore. And network television, he played the devil. Do you know what he looked like? Red tights, sort of Lululemon type. Pointy tail, no lie. Fork. And he was hysterical. And Satan loved it because this 10-year-old laughed at the destroyer of his soul. See, Satan doesn't want you to believe that he exists. In fact, some of you now are thinking, I'm crazy. I'm with you. I'm not crazy. The Bible calls me a fool. The Bible says that there is a very real enemy. His name is Satan. It's not, as Paul says here, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Men and women, our struggle is not against the opposing political party. It's not against another color. It's not against somebody who has more or less money. It's not against another nation. That's not our true enemy. The true enemy is the destroyer of our souls who invites us to pride and seeks to seduce us to live apart from the only one who can give us life, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our enemy. That means every human being is your privilege and my opportunity to lay down our lives for. That is our calling as Christians. That's why Jesus said, love your enemies. I hate that. Love your enemies. Let's go over that. Let's talk about it. So he says this. He says, love your enemies. And then you know what he does. He says, and do good to them. And then he says, which I love, and by this, you'll heap burning coals on their head. I love that. (laughs) Sodom and Gomorrah all over again. You know what that means? Heaping burning coals on your head. Do you know what that means? It means by your love and humility, bringing them to their senses to see their own pride and embrace the one whom gave you humility. Did you follow that? Did you follow that? The heaping burning coals is to wake people up, to help them see Jesus. And the heaping of burning coals is to love people in the face of hatred, to love people in the face of violence, to love people in the face of discrimination. Do you see, men and women? And do you know why, by the grace of Jesus, we can do it? You know why we can do it by the grace of Jesus? This world is not our home. It's not our home. There's so much more 
as we press on. Our real enemy is the one who wants to destroy our souls. And he wants to destroy the hearts of all humans. And so we fight for the hearts of people. Now, listen to C.S. Lewis. I love he said the way he said it here. The rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. Ooh, I love that word, sabotage. Do you know what the sabotage for the Christian is? Men and women, do you know what people in this country expect Christians to do? Do you know what the caricature of Christianity is? Do you, do you recognize where we operate in fear? We're self-righteous. We're prideful. We're clannish. We discriminate. And we hate people who differ with us. That's what so many people think about Christians. I deal with Christ, uh, 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 people who are not Christians all the time and hear this. That's what they think. Do you know what we can be engaged in as the people of God? It's sabotage. And that means this. When you begin to understand the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that he had to humble himself for me and for you, when you begin to realize the lengths that he had to go through to save us, you'll realize, you'll realize we were as far away as anybody else. So consequently, men and women, the sabotage is we love people. We love our enemies. We lay down our lives. We don't possess. We hold loosely. People who disagree with us, we're not violent towards. We engage. We hold the truth of God, knowing it's the truth of God. And it can see to itself. We don't have to get mad. And you guys, ultimately, we don't have to demand our rights. We can give our lives. That's true humility.